Hello and welcome back to a new episode of Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Gilmore Girls is the coffee and we're the shot of cynicism. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And this week we are discussing episode 16 of season 5. So, good talk. I actually, uh, I just looked down at my notes and I wrote, say something. Okay, wrong wrong title. Who got I know. The, who got the title wrong this week? Not me. My God, Eleni, what the hell? No, Mind I know it's called. I watched this like an hour before we recorded, so that's I have an edge, but still. Well, I watched it last night. I don't have the a freaking excuse, but anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's so good talk, which refers to Lorelai and Rory's sex talk. Is it a sex talk? I don't know. I guess I think just like a obligatory maternal discussion. Is it obligatory? Like mother daughter. I don't know. Like, what's the word? Like, you know. Just mother and daughter talking business. A mother-daughter check-in. Yeah. Okay. Let's call it that. Okay. Let's call it that. Um, yeah. I don't know. This episode is very sex-oriented. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I think it, it was set up nicely by the end of the last episode where um, she and Logan g- go to the bedroom. And go to the get- bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think it was set up nicely, and it's again a new phase in Rory's maturity as a character and as a human being, as a young person. So it was it was nicely paced in that aspect. The rest of the episode is a is a bit choppy, I find, and I've always kind of thought that this episode is one of my all time favorites, only because of the last scene, as you're gonna make fun of me later for. We're gonna talk about that. <laughs> Well, that's why, like, anytime, I think I've said in, in previous bonus episodes when you've asked me, like, what's your all-time favorite episode? I think I've said um, episode 16 of season five because of the Judy Garland uh, scene. So that's not a good reason to name the whole episode as my all-time favorite. There's others now that I, as I rewatch more and more that I'm a bigger fan of. So uh, um, let's get into the, the nitty gritty of So Good Talk. Yes, let's. Um, I I agree with you that it's a little bit choppy. Um, when you rewatch it while you're taking notes, mm-hmm. um, there seems to be a lot going on. Yeah, like there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of storylines. It's jumping from scene to scene. I was surprised um, at how much goes on in this episode. Now that I'm yeah, considering it. you're mostly focused, still focused on Lorelai and Luke being apart, and now Richard and Emily are back in town. Like, that alone could have carried the episode without Lane. I mean, I'm never going to complain about seeing Lane because... No, for sure. But I feel like out of all the episodes where the rest of the side characters are absent because we're focused on all things Gilmore, this would have been a good episode to do that. I think maybe the writers, though, had already spent a couple of episodes before this, obviously, on all things Gilmore. So they had to pepper in some side characters. The only side character I find was... I'm not gonna say necessary, but who like was an added comic relief to everything going on was, was Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, that's always Kirk's purpose. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. They... I feel like Lane and Zach didn't need to be in this episode. I don't. I love Lane, but I, they didn't. They didn't really need to be in this episode. Well, I think it was kind of smart to put them in this episode because you have Rory trying to talk to her mother about this new um, physical relationship that she's starting, mm-hmm. and then um, you have on Lane's side her own. F- relationship zach trying to move things along move things to the next level whatever you want to call it 
Yeah. Um, and then also sitting down and having an actual girl talk like young girls do about, you know, sex and relationships, which you don't get often from them, you know? Um, yeah. We haven't had a proper one since, I guess, uh, when she was dating. Well, at the beginning of this season, we had one where she goes to Lane's house, Rory does, to talk about sleeping with Dean. But that's, you know, murky for me because I don't like Dean. <laughs> Um, and also they were whispering because no matter no matter where she is I think my mom can hear this conversation I believe it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and then you know they kind of talked but not really when Rory started dating Jess but that was a whole different thing because I think a part of Rory was always a little bit not embarrassed but maybe ashamed of the way he treated her Mm -hmm. so never really brought it up on her own um but I I liked I agree. So I stand by what I said. I still think it was a lot of things happening in one episode. Um, But I do kind of like that we see the difference between Rory exploring, you know, college life and dating and being open with her mother about her physical relationship with Logan versus Lane, who's been dating a guy for four months and doesn't get the hint that he wants to sleep with her. And then, you know, holding on to this value moral that mrs kim kind of imposed on her and that being really surprising for her too you know Mm -hmm. so i like the just the juxtaposition of it Mm -hmm. um and i just like seeing rory and uh, rory and lane together again because it is it's tough um when you go a couple of episodes or more than that with rory just at yale and then lane on her own you know yeah i think the private, so I definitely agree that we that um, Lane and Roy having this quote unquote girl talk was a much needed scene, and a lot of good character development can't comes from it. I don't know. I think my issue is that, like I said, all things Gilmore was still enough to carry the storyline at this point that they were like still relegating Lane to this kind of not gonna say pointless side story, but like still a support, very much a supporting player. And Rory and Lane having this important conversation as part of their, like, again, their maturity as young people and their maturity as friends and their friendship is evolving. I think that in itself almost could have been, like, the crux of a whole other episode, but they just, like, threw it in on top of Emily and Emily and Lorelai are clashing, Emily and Rory are clashing. Like, it was just, I think it gets lost in the mix. Yeah, I agree. And I think obviously looking back it's easy to say but you know what would have been the harm in having Richard and Emily return one episode later and just having this episode focus on Rory and Lane's life and then um, next episode could have been like the Friday night dinner from hell you know yeah because despite the fact that both Kiko Ajana and Kelly Bishop are both on contract and in the main cast apparently some people get more episodes than others well obviously Jeffrey well, I don't accept that. <laughs> well, you gotta. Okay. It's been I, it's been f- sixteen years since the original series ended, and I'm and I'm not getting over it. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you anymore. Um. Okay. So let's dive into what do you want to dive into first? Um. How about angry Luke is not a good look. Yeah, I don't like this episode for Luke. <laughs> I was actually like as I do sometimes before we record, I'll look up like the Gilmoreisms from this episode or like mm-hmm. any other 
um, stuff from, there's a lot of Gilmore Girls blogs out in the universe, in the blogosphere. So a lot of times if there's something significant that happens in an episode, um, you can find a lot of posts on different people's blogs about their thoughts. And so I was just casually looking because I didn't have a lot of time because I just got home from work before we recorded BTW. Um, but I found a one, just one sentence out of a whole article just flagged in my brain was, if Tony Soprano can do therapy, so can Luke Danes. Yeah. Um, it's not the first time we've said this, but everyone in this fucking show needs therapy. Absolutely. But but I, I think it's meant as comic relief. And when you watch casually and not for analysis, I don't I'm not really bothered by him being angry. I think it's just like an extension of how he's dealing with his feelings or the breakup. And oh, he's angry. And the fact that he's like literally throwing people, paying customers out onto the onto the ground, like throwing them literally to the ground is supposed to be funny it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be comical and mm-hmm. which, and I think when you're watching casually it is but like as we do here we analyze so when you've already analyzed everything that's happened up until this point it's just him not dealing with his feelings in a healthy way and it's kind of kind of like him being a bit of a man child if I may oh definitely and I think like I don't know what to make of his temper tantrum i guess is what you're, we're gonna call it because it really is a temper tantrum yeah especially because like your diner is your livelihood and you're literally refusing paying customers because you're in a mood yeah so i think um so i think for luke it's just like you said it's comedic relief at this point you're supposed to be watching it casually and being like oh my god luke he barely he really wants lorelei back whatever um also i just think he's been he's been the only real restaurant that stars all over so long and he knows like people know him in the town yeah considering when there's other restaurants but i think luke's diner is like what's the term you know like the the epicenter of yeah stars hollow cuisine <laughs> exactly yeah so um i don't think he cares very much but also um you know seeing him kind of lose it because that's what he's doing he's losing it <laughs> yeah i'm at the beginning of the episode, you, you're thinking to yourself, how much longer can this go on? Yeah. Like, how much longer are they going to make us wait until they get back together? And I think they could have easily done this differently in that, like, if they really wanted Luke and Lorelai apart after such a brief time together, like, they could have given signals that the storyline is moving on in other directions within, like, by, by now. Like, it's already been three episodes since the wedding so they could have already signaled like in season six or seven like it was signaled like they're broken up they're gone luke is out of the picture like they easily could have done that at this point if they wanted to but they didn't because it was kind of ambiguous obviously how it ended and you know Lorelai and emily haven't spoken since the you know incident i'll, I'll call it and mm-hmm. the the bold proclamation of you and me were done. So, and now in this episode, she's not taking her calls and rightfully so. And I'm how there's a lot to say about that once we're done with this point, but I don't know. To me, it's like, it's to me, it's, it's, a, it's a deliberate choice. Like you, when you say like, how long are we going to wait for them to get back together? It's like, it hasn't been that long, but because like this, just the way the story is written and constructed to me signals that like, that's what they want. That's how it was written. It was written to the, it was written for us to feel like, okay, well, that can't be the end. Like, what's going to happen? That they have to sort it out. And I think Emily is kind of 
the reason for that. So like when you said, like, what would be the difference of Emily and Richard coming back one episode later? I think the way that the way this episode ends with her, you know, telling Luke, go on, like, I give you my blessing, like, go get her back kind of thing. I think like, I think Emily was the pawn, not the pawn. You know what I mean? Like Emily was the catalyst. Yeah, the catalyst, the the re like, you know, and then words are words are gone today. But you know it what I mean. Sucks like they, like she was, yeah, she was the the reason the raison d'etre for them getting back together, pretty much. So it couldn't have happened without her being in this episode. So she so she had to come back at some point. I don't know. Did, yeah. any, of what, did any of what I said just make sense? I don't know. No, but I would like to jump in. <laughs> um. So I kind of hate that he needed Emily to go and tell him to get back together with Lorelai. Yeah. Uh, th- again, that's an extension of the man-child thing. Yeah, but it's 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 times like these where I'm like, Luke, you're not shit. <laughs> like, yeah. there's things... So I think we've all had moments over the years in watching the show before they got together where we just think, oh my God, Luke is amazing. You know, um, he does so much for Lorelai and Rory. He cares about them so much. Mm-hmm. And then there's moments like these where I'm like, what did we ever see in you, you idiot? I know. And I think we've already mentioned in season five up until this point, there's a lot of, I won't go so far as to say red flags just yet, but there's a lot of foreshadowing into how both Lorelai and Luke have their own separate issues. Yeah, but I mean... At this point, Luke is the one that broke up with her and yeah. said that he can't do it anymore. And she anymore <laughs> hasn't even been yeah. that long. I know exactly, but she, you know, we talked about her breakdown and breaking into his apartment and whatever, and that was a whole other thing, um, mucho dramatic on her part. But you know, this episode and the episode before at the play, whatever. You know, she's keeping her distance. She's respecting him. He doesn't want her. Well, that's it. You know, she's moving on with her life. Yeah. And you want to get back together with her. Clearly. But you needed her mother to tell you to make a move. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the person who wrote If Tony Soprano Can Go to Therapy, So Can Luke Danes, has a point in that, not that he would, not that a man, a straight white man would have gone to therapy this quick. <laughs> a gay man would have. <laughs> but um, no, I don't think any, even in, even in 2023, I don't think any straight white man would have gotten, would have run to therapy this, this fast, unless he was already in regular therapy. So... I don't know. In this case, it's kind of like Emily. We're already jumping to the end of the episode. But in this case, Emily is acting kind of like the therapist in that she's taking a look at the situation and saying, you know, I like, I'm out of like I'm out of the picture. But also like you you two clearly love love each other based on all the ways you've acted in this incident. Shall we still call it an incident? So I don't know. To me, it wouldn't have. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't have made a difference if, like you know, it wouldn't have made a difference one way or another what Emily said because it was what Luke felt, and Luke obviously, like a minute after she leaves the restaurant, he well goes running over, you know. So it was already on the tip of his tongue. He just wanted, I guess, he just needed someone to say it out loud to him. 
Yeah, but isn't that stupid? It is stupid. I'm okay. not defending it. Because, <laughs> like, if you want to get back to get... For me, it's almost as if, like, it's a pride... It's a man pride thing. Absolutely. Like, I broke up with her. I can't go, just go crawling back now. What would she think? But instead, I'm going to, like, pout around the diner and throw people out. Literally. Like, that's exactly it. Like, and, and man pride would stop a straight white man from going... Yeah, and- so I feel like... All this time, even last week's episode, when I told you that I felt that he was only going to help at the play and asking about the other adults because he really wanted to see Lorelai. Yeah. I feel like all of these little things are just him making an excuse to not go back on his word. Yeah, and I think he obviously regrets being the one who ended it and said, I can't do this anymore. Your family is too much. Yeah, so I think it's more of a... I don't know how to describe it. It's more of a like an internal battle than anything else. You know, yeah. it's him getting in his own way. Yeah. So I don't know. He's just to me, it's to me. I just always found it weird that Emily says two sentences to him and then I'm going to go over and kiss her. Like, what? yeah, like I will have to wonder. Obviously, it's the per- like it's Emily was the one who caused all this damage. So it means something coming from her but part of me even wonders if that's if that's so stupid if kirk had said the same thing to him would he have dropped everything and gone running maybe not kirk but you know what i mean if someone else like if miss patty or babette had said it to him yeah i think he was at the point where if anyone had said anything to him he would have gone yeah he just needed to hear it from somebody else Mm -hmm. um because he was already at that stage in his head where he was over it um you know, and it, and it also kind of makes me wonder, sometimes, you know, we talk about the scenes that we wish were in the show. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder about what happened when they reconciled and if they actually had a conversation. I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with no, too. From everything we know <laughs> about them, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> Which- and just. And just couples and, stars, just couples and stars Hollow having bad communication, it would just been like them making out probably also going to the bedroom and that will be that and oh I'm sorry I'm sorry to moi the end yeah and I don't even think Luke would tell her about Emily well I'm not now now I'm blanking on the next episode of how it goes but I well no they don't mention it again no and then Emily comes storming into the diner because Lorelai's still not taking her calls yeah so but it's just it's I don't know it's so weird to me that you waited for her for forever and then you're the one that breaks up with her and you can't just swallow your pride and be like, hey, I'm sorry, let's talk it out. Not like, let's get back together. Let's just talk it out and see where it goes. Nope. I mean, yes, I do agree. But then I think there's also a small part of me who's like, if you made such a big proclamation, such as I'm ending this relationship that meant so much to both of us, I th- uh, yes, there's definitely man pride in that, but I feel like at the same time, there's also just like human pride in that. If you, like you know, if I said like oh, I'm quitting my job, I'm leaving, I'm taking my all my stuff, I'm getting my last paycheck. A month goes by, and then I'm like, oh crap, I I needed that job, and I go back. It's like it's kind of the same thing of I don't want to go back because I made I made a big stink and I left, and now I have to okay, go back. Sorry, with- but a relationship is not a job. No, but you know what I mean? I'm comparing it in the sense of, like, a relationship is not a job, but, like, a job is this ha- holds the same kind of weight in your life. Uh, not no, I don't same, think so. Not in the same category, but, like, 
No, but what I'm trying to say is that like people, a job is a job. Like you go, you do your thing. That's it. You know, it's, it's your job. Shouldn't be your life. Whereas for a relationship. Are you calling me a workaholic? What? Are you calling me a workaholic? No. (laughs) But like for a relationship, for someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with, for someone you love and love their child and want to build a life with, like, I don't think pride has any business being mixed into this. You know what I mean? And obviously that's hard, you know, if you're a prideful person, but sometimes you have to kick yourself in the head and just admit that you were wrong and it's not even that he was wrong like if he had said to her you know i need well we talked about this you know i think if she had given him the time that he wanted maybe it wouldn't have ended like this but let's say even if she gave him time it ended whatever if he had then gone back like two three weeks later and said you know what i did need the time thank you for giving me my space whatever Let's talk about the fact that your parents meddled and made me feel like shit and you didn't defend, like, you know, just talk it out. This is the person that you have said so many times that you want to spend your life with. Like, why are you letting your pride get in the way? Yeah, I think we've kind of descended away from fictional TV characters into like how real life people would have handled it because yeah, it's would've... still weird to me that <laughs> you would make him pine for her for so long and then him be like, I'm out after like five weeks. I'm sorry. Didn't I say that in a few a few weeks ago when I I pointed out that he was like I'm in I'm all in. Then he bailed the first sign of trouble. Yes, yes, I understand. You're on my side now. I mean, I was always on your side. I just think there's different ways to to. I think there's different situations. Like this isn't a completely different situation to him being like I'm all in when it was all hypothetical and they were just starting. It's easy to be all in when you're all just starting. You know. Mm-hmm. And you don't have you're not faced with real problems yet. I don't know. It's just frustrating. Maybe it's like his grumpy mood that's rubbing off on me. I think it's just the many facets of Luke and Lorelai. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on from Luke and Lorelai. We're talking about Emily. Let's talk about Emily and Richard and Emily being a dick. And like just the queen of ignoring her problems. Yeah, the queen of Republican repression sure uh so emily has been sending lorelei and rory postcards from her second honeymoon in greece and she's not mentioning anything that happens both you know lorelei and rory are saying that you know she's just you know talking about the honeymoon and the country and blah 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 like just ignoring the fact completely that they had this giant fight yeah um so lorelei is hanging up on her mother every time she calls at the inn harsh or justified 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 i agree um so she has richard collar instead and she's all warm and bubbly to richard but then hangs up on emily again um and then rory goes to friday night dinner and i feel like is purposefully being cold with emily but being super warm towards richard yeah and honestly same girl (laughs) (laughs) uh you know, I I think Rory's reaction is justified. And I think Emily is delusional to think that something that hurt Lorelai so much wouldn't hurt Rory. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how close they are. Would you think that that was just going to be okay with everyone? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I definitely agree that Rory's um, 
I guess, demeanor at dinner was definitely justified in that she was cotton. Obviously, she was cold towards Emily, but in that she was robot, I guess, just robotic towards her and just not, not emotionally engaging with her, which is completely justified. At the same time, I feel like when it all erupts at the dinner table and Emily calls her on it, I, <laughs> I think she was kind of towing the line between, you know, justified and childish and petty because obviously you can be angry at a person but you chose to come to dinner because you're cho you're choosing to continue to honor your quote-unquote contractual obligation so to me it's like you can't just you, you can't just like go in and out of polite and polite because to me it was like okay she's being she's being cold and distant towards emily for a reason and less so towards richard but it, you know, you can't, like, I don't know. To me, she was kind of just a little childish and petty in that. Well, you know so what I, I mean? Get, like, no, I get it. I get what you're saying. Because to me, it also felt like she was going out of her way to make Emily feel um, like she didn't, you know, that, that whole thing about how was the archaeological museum, you know, when Emily was trying to engage with her on that point beforehand that's so totally like, petty and childish like oh yes 100 i think there was things about the conversation and probably the dinner that rory was doing on purpose mm -hmm. but so yes one part of me is thinking 100 it's petty it's childish um you know what you're doing another part of me thinks that maybe that's the only way to get through to emily mm. because she's clearly you know delusional yeah you're she right thinks, i'm thinks, glad with that yeah you know like she thinks that she could just they could never speak about it again they don't ever have to mention it again and everything's gonna be fine yeah you're right so it's like well at that point if that's what you think then i'm gonna try <laughs> to make you see that that's not how this is gonna go yeah you're right okay i take it all back everything you said is correct <laughs> oh thank you i love being right yeah no it's true because yeah. Otherwise, if she if she had come and she had been just basic, polite, not engaged, but polite and had dinner left and whatever, Emily wouldn't have gotten the message that like, you know, she had to say, like, look, you know what you did. Like, it's yeah, kind of exactly. the point of we have, to, we have to acknowledge it out loud. And she would have never had to acknowledge it unless Roy had behaved that way and, and kind of poked the bear on purpose. You know, Yeah, because if if Rory had just shown up um, her usual self then it's kind of enabling the behavior that Emily shows. Yeah, exactly. You're where right. she just brushes things under the rug, you know, because she can constantly get away with it. So yeah. I feel like, yes, there's parts of it that are petty and childish and you're like, go off this. But there's other parts where you're like, this is the only way to get through to her and to make her actually acknowledge what she did. Yeah. And get it out in the open. So it's like fighting fire with fire. Yeah, exactly. And considering that, like, I also kind of want to talk just about what like what Emily did and like how vicious and underhanded it was like obviously we've seen up until this point how Emily can act and what stuff that Emily pulls and yes it's it can be petty it can be kind of underhanded but it's all kind of in the in the, in the realm of love and I guess you can also say that in some worlds very far away from ours what she did with with Christopher and the wedding was kind of what she deemed love like i you know i care about my daughter as much to 
force her in the direction I think she, she I, like the romantic direction that I think she should go in. Obviously, that's way out of bounds. Um, but to me, as to me, just the way she acted as if, again, nothing happened and just repressing her feelings. It's kind of pathological. Like, I'm not going to say, I'm, I want to go so far as to say, like, I'm scared of her, but you know what I mean? It's, it's no, I get it because I think it it definitely takes a certain kind of sociopath to be able to disengage like that. Exactly, and like what <laughs> she and what she did was just, like obviously we've seen it from the whole perspective of Lorelai and Luke and how what happened at the wedding just blew up both of them and how Lorelai was in bed crying and that's not something that Lorelai Gilmore usually does and like it just it wrecked her. And then to have Emily pop up in her next appearance and be like Lorelai, hi, how? Like no. Like you've caused all this, all of this pain that I have suffered goes back to what you in to what you instigated. That's yeah, it's it, there's no accountability, and I think that's a, the problem that I have with it as well. Exactly, because <laughs> I think that um, I think that in the moment when Rory was confronting Emily, if she had just said, "Look, I I did what I thought was best," mm-hmm. even if she didn't apologize, even if she just said, "I did what I thought was best." Maybe there would have been some kind of, you know, meeting in the middle. Yeah. Like, Roy would have been like, okay, I'm never going to understand her, but, you know, she loves her. She loves Lorelai. Um, even though I don't agree. You know, I think they would have been, been able to come to some kind of middle ground. But the fact that she won't even acknowledge what she's done mm-hmm. is kind of awful. I do think, though, at the end, when she goes to see Luke, that's her way of trying to fix things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's more because she wants to see her daughter again or she realizes the real damage that she caused but regardless i think it's a step in the right direction why you wouldn't just go over and see your daughter instead like i don't know so i agree that it's a slight step in the right direction like it's better than nothing at all of course yeah it's better than her continuing to like bury her head in the sand yes definitely in terms of like her her going to luke in or her just acknowledging publicly to anyone even if it'd been to richard even like just her acknowledging out loud that what she, like that she made a mistake yeah like i i don't know but we'll get into this more in the next episode and how she reacts when she storms into the diner and starts calling luke names but um I, to me i think it wasn't enough. Like, okay, it's a, that's why I say it's a slight step in the right direction, but it's not enough. Like, I'm sorry. No, I don't think it's enough either. And, and in the tone in which she's talking to Luke about it, it's like, well, you win. You get it. You know, it's like as if like, okay, fine. I received whatever. The, 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 nothing in her tone or speech at the, end of, at the end of this episode signals to me that you now realize what you did was wrong. Like, all you're doing now is realizing, okay, like, Lorelai and Rory are really, are really upset about this. Like, I, I but I still want to talk to them and talk to them. So I have to do something. Like, I don't think she, no, I don't think at this point in time, she regrets it. I think. No, she, I don't think so either. I don't think there's any remorse. No, but exactly. I, But I do think that maybe it's a step in the right direction in terms of her realizing that she cannot control her daughter. I think it's the only time, actually, in the entire show where she realizes that she maybe doesn't know what's best for her. Yeah, okay. I don't think it it lasts, let's be honest. But I definitely think she comes to the realization in this episode. Um, 
like I said, it doesn't last long, but I think the effort is there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, but no, there's certainly no remorse. Um, and I stand by that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what, like, definitely remorse plays a part into it and, and why I think it's pathological and why it, it, that's why I mean when I say it's not enough because clearly you don't regret your actions and all the pain yeah. you've caused. At least not, like, I wouldn't go so far to say at all, but we don't see it very much on the surface throughout the rest of the season, at least. And I don't think we see, I don't, I honestly don't think we get any, like, let's say peace understanding through any of these events until season six, episode 13, Friday night's all right for fighting, you know? I mean, I would go so far as to say that we don't see it until later in season six where, uh, well, I don't know spoilies. And I also just don't want to get ahead of us. But I, I think it comes later. And when we get there, I'll tell you why. Okay. But yeah, I know there's no there's no real resolving of their issues um, in this season, at least. And not really at all. You know, I think that's like what a, a lot of what's carried the show in terms of Lorelai and her mother is them not is them not understanding each other, not seeing eye to eye you know, agreeing, sometimes agreeing to disagree, sometimes finding common ground, but never really acknowledging the ev- the elephant in the room. I think that's... Yeah, but I think um, that's realistic. Yeah, and, it, and it's what sells it as a family, part of what sells it as a family drama. So Yeah, and I think as the show goes on, they both... So maybe they understand that they will never quite understand each other. Yeah. But um, I think as the show goes on, and even in A Year in the Life they've come to a place where they are at least aware of each other and who the other person is yeah. and are more okay with it, shall we say? Yeah. I'm really excited for when we reach a year in the life. Cause as you know, or maybe you don't remember, but I've only seen a year in the life once. All the mm. way so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, how- it's a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> it's definitely a chore. Like four, 90 minute episodes and a lot there's a lot of filler in, in some of it from what I recall so yeah um yeah but anyway I'm gonna it'll be interesting to see how I read like with, with all we've discussed in the whole show and especially all of this between season five and six ish um like I remember I remember bits and pe- like vaguely like the the, the scene in your life where they're in therapy <laughs> and so it'll be interesting to see my take on it um retroactively anyhow any more thoughts on Emma, on Emily Gilmore, the menace? No, I just I think that um, you know Richard trying to play mediator. Um, it's also lame. What? It's also lame. Like Rich, Richard trying to play. Oh, mediator. lame! I thought you said that's lame, and I was like, no, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I, I kind of feel for him because I think he knows that what his wife did was wrong. Yeah, but he understands her more than anyone, and is probably just like, "Well, she did what she thought was best, and who am I to argue with that?" Mm. Um, but I think in Lorelai's case, it's kind of delusional to think that you're just going to go the rest of your life not speaking to your mother, but speaking to your father. Like that's not how that works, girl. No, <laughs> you know, something is going to pull you back in. No, I, I don't, and I think honestly, though, definitely, definitely, I agree in terms of. Uh, Lorelai not being able to just speak to one parent and not the other. That obviously is not going to work long term. But <laughs> I, at least in this instance, not consider like without going getting into 
what happens later on in the show. I think in this instance is one of the stronger points where Lorelai is just really able to assert assert her boundary in terms of like what you did to me is not okay. I need you yep. to realize it's not okay. Yep. I no, I, I get all, that. I think out of all points in the show, it's one where she's not where she doesn't back like she does eventually back down later on after they've like after time has passed. But at this point where it's fresh and the wound is barely covered by a band-aid it's like no i'm literally like no my boundary is here you get out (laughs) very eloquently put but no i I know what you're saying it's it's the first time you know how many times has have we watched over the seasons as emily's made you know terrible comments or you know judged lorelei's parenting you know whatever it is and lorelei's just had to grin and bear it yeah or like I mean, the episode where Richard comes to the Independence Inn and he's like, you should never talk to a business person like that or whatever. It's just like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okie dokie, you know? Yeah, no, she's definitely like swallowed a lot. Yeah. So um, that was dirtier than I thought it was going to be. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, but, I wasn't thinking about it until you said it, so. <laughs> well, maybe my mind. But yeah, no, I think it's, I, I do like the fact that she's finally setting boundaries with her mother. Um and, you know, I think it's obvious to see that Richard didn't know anything about it. But, of course, he's always going to take his wife's side. Yeah. Um, that's inevitable. Anyways. Um, let's talk about the gals. The gals? <laughs> the gals. Rory and Lane. The Gilmore and, gals. And their sex lives. The Gilmore Kim gals? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so, Rory runs into Logan... The night after or the day after their tryst. Okay, that was not a word I was expecting you to say. But Me either. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I apologize. I don't know what the fuck just happened there. It's a good word. It's not usually a word I, I, I hear spoken and I usually read it on a page. <laughs> well, I'm a scholar. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but um, You um, were published in an academic journal, ma'am. So nobody cares. Scholar. <laughs> nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> anyways, they run into each other at the coffee cart and um, it's all flirty and makey-outy. And kept... Can I just say, if it were me, I would have been very mad that the boy that I just slept with showed up after I literally downgraded my order because I can't afford it, and then you pay for it. Like seriously, when you showed up while I was trying to negotiate the 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 large macchiato triple shot of whatever that she orders, like Jeffrey, this is why you're friends because the number of times I've thought that over the years is hilarious. <laughs> I'm just like, bitch, she just said no. What exactly? <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it. I'm not too proud to uh, get a handout sometimes. No, but, but especially if I'm broke and I want my fucking coffee. Meaning, And I, I know he's a trust fund kid. I don't care. <laughs> meaning I would probably just buy it myself because I'm like, I don't care. I'm broke, but I I need this for myself right now. Oh, yeah, but for sure. Still, if, if, I, if, you know, I'm sorry, if I had a rich uh, trust fund boyfriend in some other life, that would definitely be something I would do, so... Yeah, I don't know. Have we talked about this before? The, um, the, I don't know, the dynamic, I guess, between Rory and Logan with her being, you know, not as well off and him being very rich. Have we talked about that relationship? I guess we'll talk about it a little more when they actually get into a relationship. 
but know, we, we've dabbled we've dabbled in the dichotomy between oh dichotomy where'd that come from we're from saying both big, scholars we're saying big words today you guys um yeah i don't know to me we've talked we've talked a bit about the differences between the gilmores and the huntsburgers and how like emily and richard think like we talked about it in a bonus episode so we haven't gotten into a lot of it but we're definitely going to get into the Huntsburgers versus the Gilmores in the coming episodes. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, so because I often have, to, I've had this conversation a couple times when, um, when talking about the show and Logan and you know how I'm very you know eat the rich, but then mm. in the same breath I'm like, yeah, you could pay for me. <laughs> um, because there's a difference though. Like it's, yeah, <laughs> I guess, but I mean, I think maybe we shouldn't talk about it right now but i think i'll say this i think that there is a part of rory that kind of shifts as she's dating logan definitely 100 and and so she's very much trying so i think her perspective kind of shifts while she's dating logan and her relationship with money and wealth and high society changes um while still trying to navigate her very like middle class world Hmm. um and that's why I think, you know, whenever we talk about Rory and Logan's relationship, we always talk about it in more grown up terms, because I think that also plays a really big part in it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a very, I won't call it realistic, it's very WB, but it's it's a very, out of all of, I think, the teen dramas that have navigated the choppy waters of young adulthood, you know, like the, the shows either that follow, um, like the years following high school or started in high school like Gilmore Rose and you follow the characters into college I haven't watched a whole lot of them in terms of like I don't know the OC or One Tree Hill or any the other shows that kind of follow the characters as they grew up through young adulthood but from what I from what I've read and what I've seen and what I've consumed I've I've made the I've I've always thought that Logan and Rory were kind of more on the realistic side in terms of Again, the the dichotomy between their just just their different worldviews. You know, I find that you can argue that Rory comes from money, so to speak, but she wasn't raised she wasn't raised to be a trust fund baby like Logan was. You know, so no, but you can't deny that she's privileged. No, she's definitely privileged, and I find that like we'll see this more in season six and season seven. But she leans more into the privilege, feels more free, lean more into the privilege when she's with Logan. I find that so. I find that really interesting. I could like, yeah. I could write an essay about that. <laughs> yeah, but I think in times like these, where I'm like, <laughs> where I have thoughts of like, God damn it, why couldn't he buy her large macchiato? You know, yeah. I'm always like, am I a bad feminist? <laughs> no, eat the rich, but spread the wealth, bitch. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think. I'm like, that's like a public service. Like, he's helping the poor, you know? <laughs> no, it's not a bad feminist. It's I'm poor. Help me. <laughs> Help me and poor. <laughs> Anyways, but we'll talk about that more. I just, I, it's just in like little moments like these where I'm kind of, especially in this episode where um, they're sprinkling in little nuggets of her being really broke. And needing yes. a, you know, a job for spring break and, you know, doing laundry at the house and Lorelai giving her money. So sometimes I I think of it and I'm like, listen, I don't know what I would do in that situation if I were broke. I've been broke and, you know, um, I'm a fairly independent gal. I pay my own bills, but sometimes I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> Sometimes you know what I you know when I always think I'm a bad feminist is when the fifteenth of the month always rolls around, mm-hmm. and I'm like I have to send in my rent because right. I pay my rent on the fifteenth. And I'm always like, God, I love my freedom and I love my independence. And I love telling people that like, I'm very independent because it is something to be proud of, especially in my culture. Mm -hmm. But God damn it. Every time I send that fucking money, I'm like, God, I wish I had a boyfriend for this shit. Or just had a rich husband who could pay all, you know, pay all the money, pay all the checks. Sometimes I'm like, I need a sugar daddy because like, oh God, I don't know. Um, I would. Before I move on, I would like you to share with the class um, what you told your mother when you were um, looking, when she was helping you look for apartments. Because, spoiler alert, Eleni's moving back home. We're going to be in the same city again very soon. Yes, we'll be uh, recording together again. Um, I honestly don't remember because I say a lot of stupid shit to my mother. Okay, so from what I recall, from what you By said- the way, sorry, just because, because I once forgot I was talking to my brother. Oh boy. And we were talking about, we were, I was getting ready to come back home. It was last Easter. I was getting ready to come back home for Easter. And we had said that we were going to watch the new Batman with Robert Pattinson. Mm. And my sister-in-law was like, I don't like Robert Pattinson. Like something about his face bugs me. And I don't know what happened, but I had a stroke and completely forgot that I was talking to my brother and my sister-in-law. And I was like, I'd sit on Robert Pattinson's face. (laughs) <laughs> Look, my brother. <laughs> so I say a lot of stupid shit to some to people that like it's really inappropriate sometimes. But I completely forget that I'm talking to family members sometimes. But I don't know what did I say again. I think that this is this is another example of that phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I know, I know that I said something bad, but I just don't remember the exact wording of it. So from what I recall from what you texted me is that your mom was sending you apartment listings um, a while ago when you were still looking. And I think a lot of it was she wasn't taking into account your price range. And yeah. So you, she sent you so she sent you one that looked really good. And then you realized and then she realized, oh, wait, it's X amount per month. And that was way out of your budget. And you said, I'd have to suck a lot of dicks to get to, to make that rent. Sounds like something I would say. Yeah, and your mom was more not your mom was um scandalized. She was horrified, but then laughed, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> that's the thing with my mother too. I think my mother is also realizing that I'm 30 years old. Yeah, and sometimes I'll say things, and she'll be like, "What the fuck?" And then she's like, "Well, you're an adult." I mean, don't get me wrong; I still shouldn't say some of the shit I say. Like something should not be said. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so sometimes I feel like I'm a bad feminist. Moving on. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Rory and Logan flirting. Um, I kind of like the way they flirt because it's really intellectual. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit... It's better than her... I guess not better. I'd say, again, more mature than her previous relationships, which makes sense. So. Well, it makes sense because of the setting. Like, obviously, they met at school, so and they're on the paper together. So, but it also makes sense age wise. They're both, you know, mature enough. Um, you know, but like, can you imagine her flirting about Hemingway with fucking Dean? Um, I'd like to point out that Jess and Rory invented flirting about Hemingway. Listen, I'm not saying it wasn't good. The flirting, the book flirting with Jess. But it was always eclipsed by, like, teenage problems of him not calling and not talking to her and their communication issues. Yeah. 
right now the beginning stages of Logan and Rory is very like flirty and like I just want to call him to talk to him about Hemingway well they... oh my God. <laughs> go on if you recall Rory called Jess to talk books at the end of that episode with the Hemingway flirting so... I understand but what did I just say I know but I know. <laughs> But which ship is always at the top of my brain? <laughs> I know. Always at the top of your fucking brain, you. But yeah, no, I think um, I think it's really new and exciting for Rory, especially after the shit show of a relationship with Dean. Um, and Jess was a shit show, too. So she need like, not to say that Logan's not going to be a shit show in time either, but um, it's definitely obviously the most mature of relationships just based on the age of the setting everything you said but I, yeah but i also think like the fact you know because they've established that there's no strings attached and they're just casually dating and i i really think that rory right now believes that that's what she needs mm-hmm. and that's why it's so easy with logan right now right you know obviously it's not the best afterwards but i think right now in this moment where they're just flirting and like kissing in the alcove and like climbing through windows and shit she's like yeah i can casually date this is what i need yeah but bear in mind the ending of the episode with the founders day punch no i understand completely i said right now i think this is what i think now she's realizing like i'm good mm-hmm. but obviously old habits you know creep their way in for sure with episode 19 but it is what it is for right now um so she goes back to stars hollow gets a job for spring break is doing inventory i think is the job i'd like to actually talk more about broke rory needing a job (laughs) yeah go ahead um i was gonna ask you so like you mentioned just just earlier you also been broke as a student as i think i don't think Again, unless you're a trust fund baby or you miraculously managed to make a lot of money while in school full time, even or even in school part time, you're an enigma to me. But I think most people I think most most students can relate to the facet of being broke. So my question, my question is, like, obviously, I've known you long enough to have a, a rough timeline of your life. So I know, like, you started working at the hospital where you met my mom. Like when you were 19-ish, I think you said? Yeah, 18, 19, something like that. Okay, so like you obviously didn't, most and most people where we grew up, it's difficult to have like a legitimate job in high school because a lot of like grocery stores or chains don't hire under 18. Um, so let's say end of high school, beginning to see Jeff, like were your, as a girl, I'd like I'd like to know, like were your parents like pressuring you to like, also like, have a job, make start making money like while you were still in school and not even like just kind of adding the pressure at that time from what you remember. So I I think we talked about my um my job history when I mentioned that I was like a child laborer. Right. <laughs> and I used to go work with my mother just for funsies. Um, but there was a weird time when um I first got my job at the hospital hmm. where you had to be on call all the time. Yeah. Um, like you were kind of like a floater and that was the first summer that I had the job. So it was like a 90 day probation period where you have to be on call for like all the shifts. And so, um, during that time, if I didn't get called in the morning, Mm -hmm. um, and then I didn't get called in the afternoon again, my mother, if she came home would be like, well, what did you do all day? 
And I'd be like, well, you know, there's not much to do if you're sitting there waiting for a call because you never know when they're going to call you, you know? Yeah, like you, if you so, go and do something and I'm in the middle of my day and oh crap, I have to go to work. Yeah, so it was more my mother being like, did you do something around the house? And I'm like, listen, if you leave me a list of things to do around the house, I can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever it was, cleaning, whatever chores it was that she wanted me to do. But she would always get annoyed with me if I wasn't occupying my time with anything. Okay. <laughs> and always get annoyed, like somehow forgetting it's the summertime. So even if it one day I didn't do something, that's okay. Right. Because yeah, it was summer. What am I saying? Continue. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's things like that that um you know definitely bothered me. Mm-hmm. But I've always kind of worked. It's just my hours have always fluctuated. Right. So sometimes, and I'm, listen, I acknowledge my privilege. I lived at home during university. So it's not like I had rent to think about. You uh, also never had to work retail. <laughs> I never had to work retail, but I did have to work with customer with people in, at the hospital. Right. Oh Yeah. And getting yelled at by crazy ass patients in there. Exactly. <laughs> so like, it's fine. I don't care. But, um, and like I said, I recognize the fact that I'm privileged and not everyone could live at home rent free, um, during university, but, um, in terms of being broke, like there's definitely times now included because rent is so high where I live, but I'm like, I'm going to stay in today and not do that because yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think broke is like subjective and relative to your own situation. Like, yeah, you know, when you, like, I think that's, it's, it's interesting when people say they're broke, it's like you saying you're broke is very different from me saying I'm broke. Right. Yeah. Because me saying I'm broke could mean that like, Obviously, I've done groceries for the week and like I've whatever paid my bills and this and that, but maybe I'm not saving as much as I want to be saving for the future. Right. Right. Because maybe I use too much Starbucks funds this week, you know, mm-hmm. or but I also think that comes back to Rory's situation, like Rory saying she's broke. Yeah. Obviously, her grandparents are not going to let her grow, go broke, really broke. You know what I mean? Yeah. And her mother is giving her 20s and she has the ability to get a job and she's studying at an Ivy League school. You know what I mean? She's not broke like Marty's broke. No. And that's why I wanted to ask you just like in terms of real life. And if now that now I feel better knowing that your mom used to say that to you because similar like similar to my experience, but still different. Um, I think I've mentioned many, many times that when I watched Gilmore Girls the first time all the way through I was in like I started with my first year of college and then into my second year as I was watching it and that was like really when there was a lot of pressure from all fronts and I don't know if any American listeners can really relate or kind of understand because I don't know if like if Canadian university course loads are different from American university course loads I don't think so do you know um, I know that because we do CGIP in Quebec, mm. once we get to university, there's no like, Ill- there's no introductory courses. Yeah. So like prerequisites. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, it was, it was like, I was going to say that like it, during that time, that year where I was watching Gilmore Girls and I was, you know, pressure all, pre- pressure all around, um, like I was doing six or seven classes a semester, which is if you compare to university where I was like literally pushed over the edge by four classes, it was just a very different time. And looking back, I'm like, how the hell did I like, no wonder I was a complete mess of a person, like a complete stressed, anxious disaster, you know? And yeah, 
I look back and realize like how much schoolwork and coursework I was carrying in college slash CJF um, to then also have this pressure from all these friends of like, what do you mean? Like, well, you're not gonna, you're looking for a job. Like, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, um, I, and I really internalized all of that pressure. So I, I, I just, I find it really annoying to watch. Not to say, not that I find it annoying that Rory calls herself broke. I'm sure she is like, you know, you're a student, but I find it really annoying that you, and again, it's a TV show, but you go home and your mom's like, gives you 20s, like you said, or just says like, oh, I called around, you're, you're in very high demand, and started, I don't know, like, okay, wouldn't be me, you know, like, I couldn't find a job if, if I, if I tried, you know, and I, and I think my parents just wanted me to have a job so that, like, there wasn't a gap in my CV or something, and it was all about just, like, you know, planning for the future, as you said, and it was just very annoying, and I look back now, and I'm like, I wish I had had the strength, the wherewithal, the confidence, the ability to recognize it like, hey, I'm doing as damn well as I can right now. Back off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think also the fact that Rory, um, you know, Rory's not broke in the same way. Like when Rory says there are no good jobs at Yale right now, mm-hmm. like there are no good jobs at Yale right now, but there are jobs, right? Yeah, if you were really that broke, if you exactly, would, if you were really that fucking broke, any job would be a good job. Exactly, like if you compare to Marty, like I'm sure Marty, like he's a cater waiter, but if he can't find any cater waiter work, like he'd have to slum it at the McDonald's by Yale or something, you know? Or like, yeah, well, we see in season seven that Marty has five jobs, right? Exactly. So you know, you're clearly not as broke as you think you are, and like you said, it is subjective. So broke for me can mean different from you, and like for Lane and Rory as well. But, you know, your mother's not going to let you starve. Your grandparents aren't going to let you starve. You have a brand new Prius. You are studying at Yale. You know, you're you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um anything else you want to say about Rory being broke? <laughs> um no, I just, I really just wanted to get your perspective on like that period of time. I guess Rory is also she's 18 19 at this point so yeah that's why I wanted you I wanted I wanted your world perspective your world view on what it's like to be broke at 18 19 and having I will say though when you're in it Mm -hmm. and you know you're drowning in schoolwork and you're like oh my god there's no jobs that work with my schedule like when you're in it it always seems a little bit more dramatic yeah um you know in the long run is it a problem that I only saved X amount when I wanted to save this amount? Mm-hmm. No, I made it during the month. It's okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's perspective, you know? Yeah. And I think what made it worse for me, just personally speaking, <laughs> is like everyone around me, mostly adults kind of made it out to be like, I wasn't trying hard enough to get a job. And it was like, Oh, you yeah. don't want like my mom's mom, my mom's MO at the time was always like, Oh, you have a list of things you don't want to do, but what about things you do want to do? And it wasn't about like, it was more so looking back, it was like boundaries. Like the same thing of like, I don't want to do this. Like I, meaning like I wouldn't want to do that because that's so much of a commitment and I'm in school or it wasn't a matter of like being a snob and like, I don't want to work at the dollar store. It was like, no, the dollar store requires this. And like, I can't give that. Or, you know, I've, I think at the time, it was also vital that, oh, I'm struggling a lot because I had an undiagnosed anxiety disorder that also was unmedicated, you know? So 
Um, there's a lot, I think there was a lot of aspects that play personally, but I think I was always made out to feel like I wasn't trying hard enough when I really internalized that. I think that's also just a generational thing. I hope, you know, you and I have talked, we're not, we're not having kids, but I hope like our generation raises their kids better and is more understanding with their children Mm -hmm. and realizes that you don't have to fill every nook and cranny of your time Mm. with any like with everything you know what I mean yeah Um, I was actually I was actually talking talking about this with my boss today like she was telling like she's from Mexico and is always like she's always telling me things that like flabbergast her about you know North American no well I guess Mexico was in North America but you know like American Canadian culture versus you know Mexican culture and obviously it's very it's very different in Mexico versus United States or Canada so um she was just saying how it's like she finds it just ridiculous to hear like six like she says you know six or seven year olds can say like they're stressed out it's like what do you know about stress and it's like to me like I totally understand what she was coming from and she wasn't saying it to be like flippant about you know seven year olds saying you're stressed but I'm like no but it's true they shouldn't be and but for, like, some, for some reason yeah, we normalized it and like I was saying to her like to me like definitely you shouldn't be stressed not from a place of like you're seven what do you have to be stressed about it's like no you're seven like what do you have to be stressed about like do we need to go to the doctor like you know what I mean and I feel like if I I feel like if I had shown like like you or I had shown major signs of that at that age like I think an an adult would have taken notice I don't know maybe I won't speak for you but to me I think that would have happened and I think I think it was just like you said normalized where it's like there's a generational gap and parents don't realize just like how how much work kids are doing versus how much work they did. And it's like, you know? Yeah. I was definitely a stressed seven year old. Oh, I'm sure you were. And I was too. It was more just like underneath the surface and it was normalized and like, you don't say anything. You don't realize until you're 25 and it's like, Oh, that was fucked up. Yeah. My mom (laughs) often says, says something like along the lines of I've been working since I was 13 and that's not that's not and I'm like I understand you had to do that because my grandmother was a single parent and my mom was working to help you know around the house or whatever Hmm. um but she sometimes will tell me things like and when I turned 16 I started waking up at four in the morning on the weekend you know to do this this and And I'm like cool yeah I understand that was a necessity but do you understand that that doesn't have to be in like as a parent don't you work hard okay for what work hard meaning poor choice of words in this case but don't you want to raise your kids so that they have a better life than you did exactly so the fact that like you had to work when you were 12 13 to help your mom out like i'm i feel terrible for you and i know it was a necessity but didn't you don't you not want that for your kids yeah exactly it's you know? i'm sure so you then can why are you trying to fill every minute of my schedule Exactly. I'm sure you can also relate to this. Last thing we'll say on the personal side, I think we're going off, we're going off, uh, off track, but um, I'm sure you can relate to, you know how, I don't know if your parents do this, but my mom has always been one of like, well, I, I have to empty the dishwasher as a kid, so you're emptying the dishwasher. It's like, or, you know, I never had, uh, you know, I never got an allowance, so you're never getting an allowance or whatever it was. It's like, okay, so you're passing on your generational trauma to me. Exactly. Oh, I don't get like, I'm sorry, your parents didn't, you're like, your parents didn't give you this. So now you're, de- you're denying me that just because you can, because you're going to pass, you, you, you still hold that resentment and anger and you're going to put that on me now. And I would that. They just want to trauma bond with us. And it's like, what you want to put, you would then ask me to put that on my kids. Hypothetical. I'm not having kids, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I get it completely. 
Like, I'm sorry, you're I'm sorry, mom, you're a middle you're a middle child and you had to suffer, but <laughs> <laughs> me, I'm not a middle child. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Um, let's move on and talk about Lane and Zach. Okay. <laughs> that was the longest pause. <laughs> um I have nothing in my notes about them, so go ahead. <laughs> well, I just wanted to talk about the fact that um did you know it was four months that they'd been dating? Mm, I mean, who cares? But go ahead. <laughs> but it seems like a really long time. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I feel, yeah, it probably feels that long because they haven't really done very much. It's more just Zach being trash. Well, yeah. And it's also, as a viewer, you don't see them every episode either. So you're not really, um, I guess, as invested. Mm-hmm. But um, Rory asked Lane to hang out later. And she says she can't because Zach is cooking her dinner. Right. Um, and they're like gushing. They're like, oh, it's so sweet. He's cooking her dinner. And um, he keeps saying things with like a really weird stress on the word, like after, later. <laughs> and so um he wants to have sex. Yeah, we got it. We get it, Zach. Thank we you. We get it. I mean, to be fair to Zach, Lane didn't get it, but we got it. Yeah, you're horny. We get it. <laughs> we get it. Um, and then Lane is shocked i think shocked is the right word Mm -hmm. um lane is like how would you want me to know that you wanted to have sex well other than the fact that like you've been dating for four months um you know all the things he says that he did are Mm -hmm. pretty good indications but the fact that it's just never crossed her mind to sleep with zach is so funny to me (laughs) yeah it's kind of sweet in 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 theory (laughs) so i think it's sweet in the sense of like since we know that she says that she wants to wait until marriage, I think that part of it is really sweet and innocent for Lane. And she's uh, like, not until I get married. Whoa, where did that come from? Like, yeah, this- so I think it's sweet in the <laughs> sense that like she's learning about herself. <laughs> um, but I also think it's just in my mind because I hate Zach so much. I'm like, see, she doesn't want to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> Reminds me of that Instagram post that you made that time where it was where the caption was, here's hoping Zach has made Lane orgasm at least once since the wedding night. Seriously, Jesus, Zach. Like, but no, I think so. I think the intent behind it was here's Lane uh figuring out that this is what she, this is one of her values and this is where she stands on the issue of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me and my funny little brain, I'm like, she doesn't want to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you're not attractive either. He's not. And like, wow, you made dinner. <laughs> cool. <laughs> You've been dating for four months. You, you haven't made dinner. Cool. You made dinner. A microwave can make dinner. Like, like. by the way can i just say something also i know we're getting off topic again but every time somebody says like they can cook Mm -hmm. i was like wow that's a basic human skill i know why do i have to applaud you for cooking guys and girls alike you know what i mean this is not like yeah good you should be able to cook everyone should be able to cook and that's you coming from your independent minded self well come on no i agree with you but i'm saying like you know as someone who's who who prides herself on being self-sufficient and independent that that should be a basic human skill of you know how to of course cook. like what the fuck anyways we're not going to get into that because that i can write an essay on but <laughs> um anyway so lane reveals to zach that she has to wait until she gets married to have sex and 
it's surprising to her too. But she seems to really believe it. Mm-hmm. And good for her. Um, yeah. And as Rory is saying, a lot of people wait till they get married to have sex. Um, that little existential crisis that she's having of like, what if I never get married and that means I'll never have sex? <laughs> I think at what like at what if you were a person to wait to get married to have sex, mm-hmm. at what point would you give up? You're asking me, the gay man. <laughs> like, okay, well, like let's say you're like, I'm not having sex until I get married. What's the age, the cutoff where you'd be like, well, now I have to have sex because it's clearly not going to happen. Yikes. Um, I'd say 25. 25, really? Yeah. You think that if you're not married by 25, you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to sleep with somebody. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I think that's fair. Wow. <laughs> Wait, well, what were you going to say? I don't know. I was going to say like late 30s. I mean, I'm coming from I'm I'm coming from the perspective of a male brain who yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's why I said you're asking me the gay man. Like, I don't think any gay man would wait for marriage. Yeah, I know. Well, excuse um, me for trying to make conversation on our podcast. <laughs> no. Um, I think if you're talking heterosexuals, um I I don't know. Twenty like when I say twenty-five, I mean taking into account and not and not thinking like old spinsters like you get to a certain age and you expire but i'm thinking if you it's your value that you want to wait until marriage um yeah i can see what i mean by, by late 30s if that's like really important like if marriage is really important to you then wait it out but if you're just like in theory waiting for the right person to come along that you could marry and like that hasn't happened by 25 i'm thinking eh, explore other options question mark yeah, I guess. I don't know. I um there's nothing wrong with that also. Like if but I just think late lately. I just think recently marriage doesn't hold the same value. No. As it did back then. Which is not a bad thing. Which is not a bad thing because there's a lot of flaws in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um in the whole concept of getting married and um well, we happen to live in Quebec where nobody really gets married. But uh, <laughs> including, it's true. Including but... same-sex marriage, there's problems there too. Doesn't The whole institution of marriage is problematic. Yeah, Quebec has issues with um, the institution of marriage in general. Yes, but... and, not, and not to say that Quebec doesn't le- doesn't recognize same-sex marriages because all of Canada does. Um, I, I meant just like in general, regardless of man and man, woman and woman, woman and man. Or anything in between, uh, I think it just in general marriage is flawed. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, okay, I just wanted your take. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I'm thinking. I I get what you I get where you're coming from when you say like late thirties in terms of if waiting until because mar- I just think if it's that important to you, like yeah, twenty five is still relatively young. You're gonna be like, fuck it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I should. I think you should also take into account that you've had to remind me several times over the last few months since I finished university and I haven't even had my convocation yet by the way you've had to remind me several times that you're still young can you calm the fuck down I mostly say that because I need to tell myself that sometimes yeah makes me feel better (laughs) anyways so um Lane says something that I think is really interesting and that I don't think is meant to be slut shaming but um maybe might come across that way Mm -hmm. she's asking Rory if sex is great (laughs) 
And then the most, one of the most iconic lines of the whole show is spoken. Yep. Not, Not in front of the book flame. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's great. But she's asking Rory if sex is good. Um, and... I don't think that's slut shaming. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not the that's not the part I'm talking about. Okay. Um, then she says, uh, "You've already had sex with two guys in the span of a year." Mm-hmm. And Roy's like, "Oh, you make you're making me sound a little slutty." She's like, "Why shouldn't you be slutty?" And I'm like, "Yes, girl. Why shouldn't you be slutty?" Also, yeah. sleeping with two guys in one year is not slut shaming. It is not a uh, slutty. Um, yeah. and what I meant to say is like, I don't think it's it's, I don't think that's what the intention of the the line was. Mm-hmm. But I think in like a 2023 context, when you look at that, you're like, hey, she can sleep with as many people as she wants. Yeah. And I think I think Lane was talking as a friend. like, Oh, she, for sure. I think that's the way it was supposed to come across. You know, she was saying like you have more. I think she was more saying like in general, like you have more experience than me. I yeah. have none. You have at least two partners. Yeah. Two. I was, <laughs> was going to say two uh, uh, things under the belt. <laughs> You were going to say dicks, weren't you? <laughs> I was going to say dicks. I was going to say notches or whatever. I don't know. What, what's, the, what's the expression? Something under oh, your bedpost? Oh, notch on your bedpost? Yeah, that or whatever. Okay. I don't know. I'm not good with the sexual innuendo. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Um, but that means that... So remember last episode where I was like, you know, I was young and I was innocent and I wasn't even sure if they had sex. Hmm. And now I'm like, oh, so they did have sex. <laughs> Just like realize- 13, year- 13 year old me doing math. Did you realize that in real time? No. So like, yeah, when I was rewatch, when I was rewatch, when I was watching it the first time, and I was thinking to myself, did they actually have sex? When you know they f- it faded to the credits, and then when I wasn't 100 percent sure until Lane said what she said, mm-hmm. I was like, one is Dean. Two has to be Logan. Anyways, I was a dummy. Um, but yeah, so Lane wants to wait until she's married. And you know what? Good for you, Lane. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, when it comes down to, I think it also comes down to like, she's also just not ready. You know what I mean? I think definitely if that's, if she feels you have to just wait until marriage, that's, you know, you do you. But I think also if she was just regurgitating something her mother had instilled in her and then had a minute was like, wait, no, I don't mean that. I think that would have happened, you know? So I think it was signaling like maybe she does one way till marriage and she's also just not ready. So I think it's a little tricky because when she's talking with Rory, she's like, you know, growing up, my mom told me all these things like no dancing, no makeup, no boys, no, no music, no uh, gluten, whatever the fuck, you know? And she's mm-hmm. like, why couldn't the gluten thing stick? You know, why did this have to stick? So part of me wonders if it's just her feeling shame because that's how her mother raised her. Mm-hmm. Or if it really stuck because that's what she believes. I think it's somewhere between the two. Yeah, I don't think it's as black and white as I'm making it out to be, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think also I think looking back on this scene, knowing what we know about Lane's future is kind of sad to me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I always get a little bit depressed when we talk about Lane's romantic life and her sex life, hmm. uh, just in general. So that's why when I look back on this and I'm like, oh, Lane, did you actually like, wouldn't it have been so much better if she had at least slept with somebody else before marrying Zach and never having an orgasm again? Yeah. 
Like poor Lane's vagina. <laughs> okay, episode title. Write it down right now. Poor Lane's <laughs> vagina. Uh, I just feel bad for her. But anyways, maybe, maybe Spotify will censor us for such a. I think so. So maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> but in our heart of hearts, that's what it's called. Yes, it is. Um, anyways, let's talk about the talk. You want to talk about the talk, or you want to talk about Suki being mean to Lorelai? I don't want to talk about Suki. Okay, I just want to say out loud, Suki calling Lorelai pathetic for staying home and Netflixing, which we're going to talk, which we'll mention later. Um, all three of Stars Borns. Um, that's not pathetic. That's that's normal. Okay. I also take offense, and in this week's newsletter, I talk about it a little bit. But I also take offense to the word spinster. Yeah. Um, that's used. And also, like, I don't like when coupled people think that they have it all together just because they're with someone. And considering what we know about Suki before the show is that she didn't date very much until she met Jackson. So, like, get off your high horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get off your high horse. And also, like, and Lorelai tells her, I was couch potato girl before I had a man. And it's true. Yeah. You know, she was always like that. She always liked, enjoyed her own company, watching television, whatever, you know. So bug off. Fuck off, Suki. <laughs> Anyways, um, I want to talk about the talk just briefly. Hmm. Because um, I don't know what's motivating the talk. I don't know either. That's why I, that, that, I think that's also what contributes to this episode being choppy. Because it's like you're 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 dealing with such the heavy topic of sexual maturity for lack of a better term and also grappling with all of this luke lorelei emily drama so i don't know i think you know the episodes in season three when um both actually both episodes there's two episodes in the beginning of season three where uh lorelei asks her like do you think you might be falling for jess and she's like i'll help you get vaccinated like they kind of have a bit of a similar talk at that stage in her life and then later in the in the season when she's like thinking that maybe she might want to have sex with Jess or just might want to have sex soon um reminds me of that and like though I find that both those scenes in season three were handled very well whereas this was just kind of like jarring and I think it was it was odd because for me anyways because it's it it almost seemed like she was looking for her mother's permission. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, you're 19 in a college dorm. You know the kinds of shit that goes on at college? Considering that even if we compare it to season three when she says to her, like, I'm thinking about maybe having sex soon or whatever. She's not even asking for, for permission then. And she was in high school, you know? So and now it's like... Just like, you know, when you're still living with your mother and you're still a teenager and you kind of want her guidance, that I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, when your mother says you can talk to me about anything, you know, but when you're 19, verging on 20 and she is, she is 20 at this point, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, what age is she? We don't even know. Well, no, because I know she's 20 because at the um, Richard and Emily's like meat market party, mm. she I says to the guy, I'm almost 20 and her birthday's in October. Yeah. And in season six, she turns 21. Exactly. So anyways, you're 20 years old. You you're in a college dorm. Like, you don't need to talk to your mother about sex, especially since, like, you had it with a married man. Like, you're, you're okay. You know what I mean? Like, 
Honestly, <laughs> what sprung to mind when you said you had it with a married man was not Dean. Was I was thinking in a year in the life when she sleeps with Logan. No, well, that's another <laughs> thing. But I mean, you know, the whole thing of um, I don't know, wanting her want it, it, it's so weird to me to want your mother's approval to have sex in college. Yeah, that's weird. Like, I don't she would have done it anyways, obviously. Mm. But and then that whole thing of like, I promised you I would talk to you before I had sex. Yeah, that was when you were like 16. When you're 20 and living on your own in college, like, you think your mother doesn't know you're going to have sex? Okay, question. Yeah. Do you think that her her seeking permission now has a bit to do either, either A, how things went down with Dean, which were badly, or B, that she already gets the sense that Lorelai doesn't approve of Logan. Like when she called him, oh, oh, good limo boy. Like already kind of acknowledging him as a bit of like a trust fund dick, that part of the life that she ran away from, you know? Oh, I think, I think it's both those things. So I think she's feeling guilty that the first time she had sex wasn't what her mother wanted for her, obviously. And I think has since realized that that was, that whole thing was bad, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, is also feeling guilty about the fact that they didn't speak for a while. So I think part of her is like, I don't want that to ever happen again. And probably feeling a little guilty about it happening the first time. So trying to be proactive about it now and get ahead of it. Yeah. I also think the other part of it, because she does mention when they're talking, it's like, oh, I know Logan's rich and you don't like that. Um so there's definitely a part of me that thinks she knows her mother wouldn't approve mm-hmm. and wants to, I guess, get in front of that and say, like, you know, we have great conversations. I really like him. He treats me very nicely. I'm happy, blah, blah, blah. Whereas um, if we compare just for a moment to how it went down with Dean, where she was like, I know it's not how, we, how I, I imagine it to be, but like, it's Dean. You like Dean. Like, he's my Dean. And she's like, no. You know, so I think she realized that it's not as simple as like, oh, my mom likes him. Like, whatever. Who cares? I'm going to have her approval. And either way, it's not a good look. Because like you said, she's 20 years old, not even living at home anymore or not living at home for most of the time because she's at school. And, you know, it's just I I think it's a, I think it's just a, a young person caught between childhood and adulthood. And I think that's normal for the age of 20. So. Either way, it's weird to kind of seek your mother's approval. Like, like I know you've met him, but I'm going to have sex with him now. Is that okay? No, not even I'm going to have sex with him. I already had sex with him, and I want you to know. Yeah, is that okay? That's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would have been different if she'd been like, you know, I'm thinking of maybe starting something with him. No, this is like, we've definitely started something. So you basically just told your mother that you had sex with somebody. That's not normal. <laughs> and by the way, Laura looks super uncomfortable, too. Yeah, <laughs> I think in this moment she realizes that maybe there are certain things that you shouldn't talk to your daughter about. <laughs> when you said that's not normal, it reminded me of that Wanda Sykes special on Netflix called Not Normal. She's like, that's Wanda. not normal. I love Wanda Sykes, but you know, I think I think maybe she's realizing a that there are certain conversations you shouldn't have with your child, and b that there are certain conversations that were okay when she was still a child living under your roof Mm -hmm. but that don't need to be said now that she's an adult yeah that's where i stand on that 
I agree. It's there's a there's a boundary, like a boundary is a is a good theme throughout this this episode that okay. you shouldn't have. There's conversations you shouldn't shouldn't have, and I think Gilmore Girls is a good show where it toes the line, obviously, because it's best friends first, mother and daughter second, and that in itself is not normal. So yeah, the more I grow up and the more I watch the show, I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> like. Yeah. It's it's a great concept for a television show, but that's dumb and nobody should live their life like that. So great of a concept for a television show that the WB buy it off of just one line, one pitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's anyways, that's that's a whole other issue. Um Can we talk about Judy now? Yeah, we can talk about the last scene, Jeffrey's <laughs> favorite scene, because he's gay and Judy's in it. <laughs> Thank you for making me sound like the most cliche you've ever met. <laughs> Sir, you have a Judy Garland t-shirt. I have several Judy Garland t-shirts. Exactly. So <laughs> I have a Judy Garland. I have a framed Judy Garland poster in my TV room. Okay. <laughs> I'm the one making you seem gay. I mean, I'm not denying that I'm <laughs> I think more just like it's a cliche because you know historically gays are associated with Judy, but continue. I mean, for good reason. Um have you seen so which star is born have you seen i've seen all four you've seen all four okay mm-hmm. i haven't seen the judy one but you t- okay but you were like you thought that you did when we were I talking thought about- i did and you know why i think it's because i've seen parts of it yeah you probably i'm have. trying to think back and i really thought i had seen it so you've seen all of them except for the judy one sorry i haven't seen the original excuse me i've seen barbara and gaga okay so I actually watched the original just by chance. It was on TCM last year. Mm-hmm. I think like this time last year. And I recorded it um, just for the hell of it. And I actually thought it was going to be in black and white. And like, for especially for a movie, like the, it really has to hold my attention when it's black and white. Otherwise, it just really get, like, it just kind of gives me a headache. And it all kind of, you know, that makes me sound like such a <laughs> 21st century snob. But it has to really hold my attention if it's black and white. And it actually wasn't. It was kind of in color. I don't know if it was co- if I was watching like a colorized version. The color is not great, but it's not completely black and white. Um, and it was actually pretty good. Like it's you can see once like having watched the Judy Garland version that like Judy Garland was a remake of that one from 1937. And then the 76th one with Barbara was a remake of Judy. And then Gaga was a remake of kind of Barbara with a bit of Judy you know it's kind of like it build it build they build off each other it was it's kind of interesting to watch yeah I do think that song is iconic though the man that got away yeah I think the reason I also thought that I've seen it is because I know all the songs yeah because a lot of well for the record a lot of the songs became part of Judy's regular set list (laughs) oh yeah I know so I think that's why I also thought like I'm like I know this Mm -hmm. I know this I know you know so uh yeah, I think that's why I was confused. But it is a three-hour movie, so. And speaking of which, um, we'll plug the newsletter officially at the end of the at the end of the episode. But if you subscribe to our email newsletter that comes out with every new podcast episode, um, we're starting a new segment this week where um, Eleni and I recommend movies to each other, and then we s- discuss our thoughts in the newsletter. And I gave Eleni two options for this week, and I think she chose poorly based on her reaction. Eleni didn't have time to watch a three-hour movie. Oh, but you told me you had time. Okay, I'm going to just zip it. Okay, <laughs> um, zip it. <laughs> so I told her she could watch either 
uh, Star Wars Born with Judy because A, I remember she had told me once a long time ago that she had never seen it. And uh, A and B, it would tie in nicely with this week's episode because uh, Judy Star Wars Born makes a cameo at the end of the episode. Or I told her she could watch Call Me By Your Name, which she has expressed interest in watching without without my recommendation. So I'm not holding, I'm not to be held fully responsible for her feelings about it. Okay? Just putting that out there. Anyway, you can subscribe to our newsletter to get all of that drama and all that tea. Um, where were we? <laughs> where can they follow us, Jeffrey? Um, were, were we finished discussing Judy? Excuse yes, there's nothing else to say about Judy. Okay, I love Judy. And speaking of Judy, actually, one last thing to say. Um, I haven't revealed anything uh, publicly yet because it is not yet published. I've shared it with Eleni because I share everything with Eleni. Um, I have a piece coming out in the Huffington Post on June 2nd, which is about Judy Garland and uh, my personal relationship with Judy Garland. So you can keep your eyes peeled for that. It is a byline that I worked long and hard to get. It's been many, 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 many months in the works. So I'm very excited for that to happen. So I will make sure to plug the link when it comes out so all of you can read it or not if you aren't interested at all. <laughs> read it. Um, they can follow us on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. Uh, you can email us if you want, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And as we were just talking about, we have an email newsletter. It's called Lunch at Luke's. It comes out with every new podcast episode, as I said. Um, it's free to subscribe if you wish. You can also pledge an amount, but it is not a, it is not mandatory. It is open to anyone. And once you do subscribe, you have access to all of our previous newsletters. So if you're listening to this episode at a later date and you're worried you're going to miss anything, don't worry. All I have to do is subscribe and it's all there. You can catch up at your, at your leisure. And you can subscribe to this at gilmorepodcast.substack.com. And we hope you consider doing that. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. Thank you for listening.